With Last Shift, it was totally that. I'm like, I just want to scare the fuck out of people and I want it to be 100% experiential. Just experiential. I did not want to get bogged down by plot. I wanted everything to be in the moment. Hello and welcome to Spill Your Guts. I'm your host, Kevin Ling. This episode is the second part of our in-depth discussion with director Anthony de Blasi. If you haven't heard the first part, I recommend you go back and listen to it. This isn't a sequel, it's a continuation. Like Stephen King's It Chapter 2 or Kill Bill Volume 2 or Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 2, Twilight is Awesome. Oh, and another bit of business. We have a very special event happening next week. We will have a new episode every day of the week in celebration of a beloved horror franchise that is finally returning leading up to an exclusive group talk with the director and stars. This is our biggest Spill Your Guts project to date, and we can't wait for you to see the surprises that we have in store. We'll have more to share with you in a few days. It has to be just right, or we will suffer dearly for it. That may have been a hint. Okay, without further delay, part two of our discussion with Anthony de Blasi. Uh, but that's what brought... I saw... I saw Cassidy could bring in true elements like that, like a true threat. You know, the one, the one regret I have with Cassidy, I mean, it was a tough production production. It was in the middle of summer in Florida. Um, like we were having some issues with one of the producers and like, it was the thing that I battled on some things about the movie. So there's that element to it. And and I Kellen came in for for an audition. You know, it was one of those movies we had been like, you know, you try to cast, you're like making offers. That's how every time you make a movie, you're like, let's make these blind offers to these people. But we had a lot of good actors come in for for uh for the audition process too. And I met Kellen and she brought this like a real emotional weight to it. And I and I was toying with this sequence at the end. That's in the movie. Um, it wasn't in the script where she comes back and has this moment with the sister. And, you know, it's like horror, horror, horror. And then she has this moment with the sister. And I, I riffed that in the room with Kellen. Like she was doing something. I was like, try and what if you do this? And she literally did the scene. And I was like, we got to hire this girl. Like she's the one. But the one regret I have looking back is that I kind of wish I had hired a deaf actress in that role. We had a deaf actress come in. Um, and it was, we, you know, we met, we took a meeting and we, and she was good. She was good too. And I, you know, for whatever reasons, I don't know. I think, you know, Kellen had some heat and things like that. And, you know, a hundred things happened. And it, not to say like, I wish I had hired that other actress. I wish we had talked about hiring a deaf actress more. I wish that was like on the table because I think it would have brought, so it would have grounded that 
a lot more into this story to make it more relevant, which I feel like gets lost in the edit a bit of this girl being deaf. Well, and you know, I don't know if it was the case when you made the film 2011, it's not that long ago, but like representation, of course, is a huge conversation in, in casting and in film now. And like, um, you know, what, what are how do you kind of feel about that, about that, about that topic? You know, like actors talking about, you know, if you have a transgender character, a, a transgender person should probably play that and that kind of thing. I mean, I'm not like, and, and that's not why I say this now, you know, it's not, a, it wasn't ever about like representation. It was, and I think, I think there's a, a level, right. That you have to deal with now that, well, listen, people are actors. That's kind of like the whole point of acting, you know, like, like Scarlett Johansson, like when she dropped out of that movie, I thought, well, that's a damn shame. Cause you know what? That movie's never going to get made now. Right. And I don't, I don't remember the, the movie about it, but she was playing, um, a trans actor, which was completely appropriate because it was her playing that part was completely appropriate because it was like a, a woman and, and I think things like that, it's a shame when that happens because it's like, well, you know, can, can people not play these parts anymore? You know, can, can, uh, people who are, are sighted not play a blind person and things like that, which seems crazy. But in, but with that being said, I think people should take more effort now. And in, in, even in 2011, it wasn't something people don't sit and talk about it enough which now they do. And I think that's good. I think it's like, okay, can we bring authenticity to this if we cast a deaf actor in this role or a blind actor in this role or a trans actor in this role? And I think that's what it's all about. Um, yeah, I was, Sean Penn was talking about an interview about how he doesn't believe that now he would get to play Harvey Milk. And, um, you know, that was one of those ones where I was like, maybe that one, I kind of agree that it shouldn't be Sean Penn because that is such a a, a pivotal figure for, for gay activism and in gay rights that, that it, it, there is part of me that feels like, you know, yeah, maybe a gay person should play someone like yeah. that. You know, um, uh, Sean Penn's wonderful in the film. I love his performance. Of course, he can do it. But I got where Sean Penn was coming from because I think he felt that, it, that now, you know, it would be right to cast a gay actor in that part. And I think that's different, though, because you're looking at a scenario there where you have, a, you know, a, a character that is so significant to that community that that representation is very much part of what the film's about. Yeah. Yeah. Then and that totally makes sense. But, yeah, you know, in, in our case and like looking back. Um, it, you know, because it kind of passed me by and I was like, I think it would have. Made the experience of the film and the film itself more. Um, memorable if we had done that and took the time to to figure that out and it's interesting too because you know one of the things i was thinking about in the film is like the the, the villain character has a bit of a like an arc of not an arc a, a, a sort of a gender confusion aspect almost like a buffalo bill kind of a character who's who's you know clearly got you know, psychological problems around gender, yeah. gender identity and stuff. Were you worried at all about kind of, you know, Science of the Lambs over time has had this sort of backlash over being transphobic and, you know, that Buffalo Bill was sort of, you know, that kind of a character that, that was, you know, where they saying that he did what he did because he was, you know, the kind of character that he was. Where, did you guys talk about that? Was that part of the script that you, that you discussed? You mean being concerned about it? 
Well, yeah, because you've got this guy who clearly has his gender. No, I identity mean, issues, we didn't right? have conversations so, like that in 2011. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. But right. also, I don't, I don't prescribe to it because I'm like, well, people exist like this. I mean, Buffalo, you know, Buffalo. That's always my yeah. argument. Yes, that's. It's I like we that. can't. Like you look at Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah. He, you know, and, and it's not convenient that he was a gay person that did those horrible, disgusting things. But that's the reality of the situation. And I think it has to do with if you study these guys, like, you know, people like John, like, uh, like John, I think John is the first name, Douglas from the FBI. Yeah. He was like, it's not because of their sexuality. that they do. It's because these are people who were repressed by a society that told them that they were filthy and they were wrong and things like that. And that led to their psychosis. Yeah. It's not because they're gay. It's because of the societal societal pressure in some areas and because of the fact that sometimes chemically or whatever, yeah. there's just something wrong with totally. Um, you know, and that's an unfortunate reality. But yeah, there it is. I think like I think as filmmakers, we should never shy away from reality. We can represent everything. You know, if if a filmmaker is saying right. like, I only make people I only make movies where gay people are psychopaths and, you know, maybe they got a problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, yeah, you know, right. I think there's no reason to shy away from things that happen in real life. I mean, that's just the way it is. And, you know, Buffalo Bill is one of the best characters in cinema history. I just don't know how you ever get around that. You can like poo-poo it, but Buffalo Bill's incredible. And that actor is incredible in the role. Yeah. Ted Levine is amazing. Yeah. And we'd never have yeah. like lotion in the basket references without him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um wait, do, but do you know the lotion in the basket song? Oh yeah. The one that's like a not not the goodbye horses one, but the you know the one that's called lotion in the basket that was like made about Silence of the Lambs. It's like a con. It's like to be yeah, funny. Yeah, right? is it, is yeah. It? It's to be funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I have heard it. I don't know. I don't know it well, but I have heard it by the yeah. Greenskeepers. Right. It's awesome. It's called Lotion by the Greenskeepers. It's. I mean, it's an excellent song. It's not just like um. It's not just like a tongue in cheek thing. It's a. It's a really good song. I do know it. I just like I. I don't think I've heard it more than a couple times. It's in my Halloween mix. I love that movie. I've watched that movie so many times. Like it's. You know, it's weird. It's one of those films that you look at now and I'm like, it's so weird that Jonathan Demme, you know, it's like he made this incredible movie that's kind of almost perfect, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, But he never kind of got anywhere close to that again afterwards. <laughs> I know. I know. I don't know why that happens. I mean, I think that just happened. I think, you know, m movies are like capturing lightning in a bottle, right? And it's like, yeah. you don't always do yeah. that again. That movie was perfect casting and it was just the right story. It's true. Right. The right, based on a, a a great book. And you read about all the people that almost played Lecter and you're like, you know, I wonder what that film would have been like with Gene Hackman. Is I know. I mean, it's like. I want to see that multiverse version. Yeah. Right. You know, it's like Brian Cox was so interesting when he played that role. And I mean, a lot of actors have done a good job with that character. Hopkins is, of course, like the definitive lector, but Mads Mikkelsen's lector is incredible. I I adored that. Scene. I actually think I like Mads better, like on that. I thought that was a really interesting show. I think it went like haywire, but it was such a good show. Um, it was so beautifully done. Like, yeah, on, you know, for network television, it, it really the shit they got away with too, right? I mean, it was oh, on what, NBC or something. It was super Crazy. graphic. It was very graphic for television. Yeah. It's kind of well, I think like once The Walking Dead started like shooting children in the head. Yeah. They were like, we can do whatever we, we want. We have to push the envelope. That was like now. the that was like the moment. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Were you so in the end when 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 you when 
guys did came out like how did it how did it do like did, did, did it do well with audiences and critics and all that were you happy with the film we premiered at scream fest and it did well you know at scream fest and i like i said before i had um it wasn't a hundred percent what i wanted it to be so i had i had my own hang-ups about it but i've you know I, a lot of people seem to really like that movie so you know, that's all I can do is, you know, you do the best you can and you, you send it out to the world. It's not one I revisit. Right. That's what I was just going to ask. On myself. Like, what's your relationship to your work once you finish it? Are you one of those filmmakers that finishes the work and it's just like, and I'll put that behind me forever. Or do you ever go back and watch some of the stuff? you? I do go back and watch. I do. Like, I think like getting ready to do, do this movie now, I'm going to watch Dread. It's been a long time since I watched Dread. I haven't watched Dread since I think I showed it to Natalie when we first met. You know, it's also like when you, you know, if you meet like a significant other, you'll you're like, oh, here are all my movies. Yes. Yeah. That right. was like the last time. Or if they don't want to see them, you know, you're going to have a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Missionary, I watch a lot, actually, in pieces. There, I'm, I tend to go back and like revisit things with Missionary and stuff. But Cassidy, I have not watched in a long time. Well, let's talk about Missionary, which you did in 2013. This is the IMDb synopsis for Missionary. Catherine is... Wait, now you got to tell... What about... What, do you like Cassidy? I need to hear your opinion. Do I like Cassidy? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do. I'm... I mean, you're one of those rare breeds that likes Plague. I do. I do really like Plague. Um, Yeah, I do like Cassidy. I think... I'm easy. You can you can tear my movies up in front of me. It doesn't bother me. Yeah, you know what felt... You know what felt... You know what... You know what felt... What I would what I would have liked is some kind. I felt like Kevin Alejandro's arc with with the main character felt unfinished and unfulfilled to me. Yeah, and I I was so invested in that dynamic because to be honest with you, those scenes were actually my favorite parts of the film. That's cool though. That's that's interesting. That's good. I'm glad because that makes me that tells me that it wasn't all a waste of time. Meaning like because I really enjoy those moments with them, but. And it's weird. And I think I think this comes down to the conflicts we were having with a producer because Kevin's like, he just kind of like, it's an interesting choice. I'd say it's the non the non movie choice. What we did in that movie. He's just like, I got to go. Like, I got a little girl. Yeah. And I got to bail. And he literally bails. I mean, no, and I totally get it. You know, he never comes back at the end. Yeah. Yeah. And I totally get it. And it wasn't yeah, it wasn't that I needed them to end up together or something, but I think it was just, I don't know. Maybe movies have taught me to think that you want some kind of... Re- resolution, yeah. Something, yeah. For sure, yeah. You know what I mean? And and maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Maybe what, what the way it is, you know, you're right. It does feel like real life. I remember John Carpenter saying that the reason he often ends his movies on like these kind of endings where it's like not to promise a sequel not to be continued but because it's just unfinished because that's so much about what happens in real life and there's truth in that but i'm also kind of like one of those people that like i kind of i look to the movies because i'm like well i don't necessarily need it to be like real life all the time you know what i mean like in a movie with supernatural powers and all this kind of stuff like i don't that's not necessarily a thing that i needed to be but i yeah i guess it was just there was such a chemistry in those scenes and there was such an intimacy in those scenes and and uh you know, and and of course, you know, I know you know how to do the scares and that stuff was great. But um, but I loved the, the the quieter scenes with those two and they had a real connection. And and your your handling of those scenes was really delicate. And uh, um, so that was just a part of the film that caught me kind of unexpectedly. unexpectedly. And, and, and I just. Yeah. 
you know, I, and I don't defend that because I think it, it's perfect that you point that out because it's like, it is, it is unresolved in like this realistic way that I think we were thought we were like, oh, yeah, this works. Let's, we'll be brave about it. <laughs> we'll just have him, ba-. but it, it totally does make sense, you know, in this sense, Kevin's like, I'm already, you know, I, I got this little girl. I'm already trying to hold on to her mm-hmm. and you're crazy, right? Uh, you know, you're awesome, but I gotta, you know, I gotta, I gotta go. Yeah. You know, sorry. And it was, let's say unheroic. Very, very. For a movie character. Yeah, 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 very. You know, and, and, and that, you know, that makes sense. But I guess there's something about Kevin maybe that, 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 that feels off to me that he would be that guy that he would bail on this girl. Yeah. You know, that, that and maybe that's something to do with the actor or me having an infinity for that. Because as I said, I think he's fantastic. And, and there's something humble and kind about him. So he doesn't feel like the guy that, that would just bail on this person who's in this terrible way. But you're right. It's not, it's not unreasonable. It's not illogical. I don't know. It was just a thing where I was like, I kind of wish there had been some. Yeah. But you're, yeah, I don't know. That was just, you know. And I, I wish I remember like if Kevin... I don't remember if we debated it much or if he liked it or if he was like, I can't go out this way, man. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. remember his stance on it. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know? So I won't, I won't speak for his, I'll have to ask him. Cause I, I don't, I can't remember if he was like, I can't, I got to come back and like save the day. Yeah. I look, I look like a douchebag at the end of this. Yeah. 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 <laughs> because it's, you know, it's funny. She goes through this, you know, the film is not like super kind to that character. She goes through a lot. Yeah. And she's already a character at the beginning of the film that we have empathy for. I mean, when that movie starts, like, you know, the the, the, the crazy, the opening's crazy, by the way. I don't know if I'm, if I mentioned that, but like, doesn't that, if I'm not mistaken, because, you know, we picked this up weeks after I've watched it now, but isn't this the one that starts like the guy, the mom or the kid cuts his dick off? Dick yeah. off yeah, and yeah. then the the sister gets, the, the sister, the little sister gets hit by a school bus. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, Jesus, Anthony, <laughs> like, want to start the movie on the most crazy shit. Like, <laughs> just, I mean, you know, you just kids getting clobbered. Yeah. Little kids cutting their parts off and getting hit by buses. And it was just. You saying that too, a big influence for this movie was The Changeling. Because I love The Changeling. And it, it is that. Yes. The George C. Scott one. Which I adore. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. So again, like tonally, yeah. I was like, really, it was that kind of thing I was going for too. And you know, the changeling has kind of one of these like devastating openings. Totally. When he's in yeah. the payphone and yeah. 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 It's crazy. I, it. I remember the first time I saw that movie, I was watching it with like my mom and I think she thought it was tamer than it was. And that, that scene happened and she was just like, uh-uh, this like the only other time I remember that happening was her, you know, being suckered into watching Pet Cemetery, and then, you know, five minutes in that. Nope. Like my mom doesn't like scary movies. Yeah. The, the Changeling was one of those ones. She, I mean, the Changeling's terrifying. Though. Oh, it is. Well, can I go on record by saying that the Changeling is the ring? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. It's the same movie, and I don't know if like the filmmakers saw the Changeling and they were like, "We're gonna make this." Yeah. Because it's yeah. Japanese, right? Is it? It's Japanese, yeah. So I don't know if the, the, they were like, we're going to make this in Japan. But if you go back and watch The Changeling, it's the ring. I mean, he's in a well, yeah. underground. It's the same thing. It doesn't have like the lady girl coming out of the television, but the the mystery is almost identical Yeah, to, to finding the body, ca- taking the kid, like, kid out. It's like the same movie. You know what it doesn't have? George C. Scott. <laughs> It doesn't have George C. Scott, no. Like Naomi Watts is amazing. She's great, but but I I'm like a George C. Scott 
fanatic. I've like read like 10 books about him. He's incredible. He's such a force. Of- I mean, Exorcist 3, I-, I talk to people about all the time. Because oh, yeah. it's like that movie just like, you know, it, like not to t- tangent too much, but like, are you an Exorcist 3 fan? Oh, yeah, for sure. That's, I think, the best one. That this, you know what I love in that content movie is that scene between, I think the actor's name is Ed or Ned Flanders or something like that. Or or like, I can't remember the name of it. From The Simpsons. Yeah, basically it's the same name. Yeah. It is similar. Yeah, I think it is. Something like that. And he's got a scene, he's a great character actor. And he has a scene with George C. Scott when they're like a bar or something. And George C. Scott is talking about this fish that his wife is keeping in the bathtub. Yeah. And and the actor that opposite George C. Scott is trying not to laugh, and you can tell it's real. Yeah. And George C. Scott is so killing this monologue, dead serious, <laughs> and this other actor is dying laughing, trying to keep it in. Yeah. And that scene to me is like, you know, it's so incredibly written scene. Blatty, I think, did he not? He wrote the third one. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That scene to me, I was just like, this is like if Mamet was writing an Exorcist movie or something. Like it's just it has it's got this the dialogue is so great in that movie. Yeah. Or or the part where George the nurse comes and she's sort of bothering George C. Scott and she was like it's all in the file and he's like it is not in the file. <laughs> like it is not. Like he just loses it on her. He brings so much to it. That movie's amazing. I, anyone who hasn't seen Exorcist three, like you know, because everyone's seen the first movie, but I think because no one talks about the second movie, they. A lot of people dismiss anything after the first one, but yeah, well, because the second one is rightfully sort of. I honestly don't think I've seen it more than once. That's enough. I, I couldn't tell you what. Yeah, I couldn't tell you what happens in Exorcist Two. I can't either, and it, because I remember seeing it, be like shit, and then then like you know <laughs> shit, yeah, next one, like yeah, I mean you know like uh, you know any of the other ones, even like the Rennie Harlan one is 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 better. Um. Uh, and Rennie Harlan, the exorcist, is a very odd pairing. But anyway, um, yeah. okay, so yeah, the missionary. Let's talk about the missionary. Which, there's no the. It's just missionary, man. Is There's no the? And how come you didn't rewatch all these movies again before our pickup of our second conversation? I imagine if you were serious right now. You should have watched them all again. Yeah, I'm really fucked. Um, <laughs> there's no the. Okay, I'll cross. <laughs> cross that it's supposed to be a double entendre, a missionary, like the position. Oh, I never, I didn't get that. I didn't get that. It's an erotic thriller. I get, that just seems so lifetime movie to me that I just, it didn't occur to me to think of that. <laughs> to think of it as an erotic thriller? I know. Uh, no, to think of that that's the double entendre of the title. <laughs> so it stands for when they're having sex and because he's a missionary. <laughs> I did, that, didn't, exactly. that didn't occur to me. <laughs> The synopsis in IMDb, I, I think this one's a little more on point. Catherine is a struggling mother trying to create a better life for her and her son. She meets Elder Brock, a handsome Mormon missionary with a troubled past, and they begin an incendiary love affair. But when Catherine unites with her estranged husband, Elder Brock can't accept that things are over, and he will stop at nothing to prove that they are meant to be together forever. I mean, yeah, sure. Sure. I mean, it's... Yeah. Okay. The essence. Shot in Florida again. Shot in Florida again. Yeah. Different, very different yeah. locations. Very different movie. Very different movie. Yeah. How did you? So how did this one sort of come into your, uh, to your, to your lap? So those guys had, they had raised money to do like another movie. Pre, we went into pre-production almost immediately because they, we finished Casadega. And they said, hey, we want to do another movie. And they threw me, they had like three ideas because they were writing together, the producers. And one of the producers, his name's Bruce. He was 
uh, a Mormon and he uh, kind of grew up in that world and he had a lot of friends that served missions. He, and he, he didn't, either he started to and then dropped out or he hadn't, but he was very much involved in that world, knew a lot of those details that I was like, this is really interesting. I like the firsthand knowledge of it. You know, let's try to be as accurate as possible while making the movie. And that's the one I was like, and it was also dramatic. And I wanted to like do something different than what we had just done. And sexy. It, it is, you know, it is a really, it's a, it's a sexy film. When it was meant to be like kind of a, a very erotic thriller in the sense, mm. um, in the kind of in that vein. But we were having trouble casting a guy that age who was willing, that age and at that point in his career that was willing to do the nudity. Like the, the level of nudity. A guy? Really? Yeah, it was, it was the guy character. It was not. That's that's so the opposite of how it usually is. Well, yeah, and it's funny because when you, I think when you think about it, it kind of makes sense because like guys tend to be more shy about that stuff. Going, you know, at least I think I find like guy actors tend to be more shy about that stuff. Kind of like Jackson on Dread, we talked about like him in that. You know, Sean was very much. Oh, I'll, I'll drop my drawers, no big deal. Um, but we were having trouble casting like a guy in that age range who was going to like do, cause we had like full frontal and stuff and, and, and several sex scenes and it all kind of got reduced when we end up casting. And I was going to say, yeah, like the, cause in the film there's like, there's not a huge amount of sex. I mean, there's, you know, a good amount, but it's not like basic instinct. No, exactly. And I, I think originally it was much closer to that amount of sex, <laughs> but you know, but you know, you get to a point where you're like, well, I like these actors. Let's I, I, let's cast the actors and kind of rework the, the script to make it work. Um, so that's what we did. And the cast is great. I mean, I thought they were all really strong. Um, you know, I, I like a few little mentions um, aside from the leads, but I, I thought that the kid, the son, yes. Connor Christie, yeah. I thought he was great, great kid actor. Connor's really strong. He's fantastic. Uh, not nothing. Yeah, he was awesome. He had none of that kind of. You know that thing that sort of happened. I I think it's getting better now. But there was a period there were like every kid actor, even you know some that were really good. But they all looked the word like kids acting like grownups. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And they were saying bigger words than kids say and shit like that. And you know, I, like that really started to grade on me. I remember at a certain point, and it, it, this kid was great. He felt like a real kid, and he's like, you know. Um, and the other person I thought was awesome was uh, uh Jordan Woods Roberts. Yeah, Robinson. Yeah, sorry. yeah. He was so so on point. So great. He's a great character. He does. He was in The Walking Dead and stuff. He 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 gets cast a lot. He was he brings so much to it. And he was like so good at being that Mormon character. Like yeah, you know, he walked this great line of like keeping it the drama, drama. But but there was there's little moments of like where he's he's funny in the right way. Yeah, in the right way. Yeah. 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 And just it's, being himself. Yeah, right. And his, you know, his physicality was perfect for it. And just, you know, he just has this quality that, you know, was, was, was dead on. Then, of course, you know, um, your, your, your leads uh, were just, you know, that's some tough stuff to do there. And they're, they're, they seem so comfortable. And the scenes that were sexy were sexy. The scenes that were scary. One thing I was curious about, I'm jumping ahead a bit here, but a spoiler for anyone, this, I keep saying this on this show because anyone had picked up on that by now, but we, we I'm going to reveal <laughs> that moment towards the end where the um what's the actress in kit pardue yeah is that his yeah, name? yeah. i say yeah his head gets thrown yeah into the 
to the last. That caught me so fucking off guard because <laughs> the movie didn't have that kind of violence up till that point. And all of a sudden, and I, I thought that was so, I was like, holy shit, like shit just got real. Like that was, <laughs> was that in the script? Like was that, or was that like, because that's a great scare in the movie. Yeah, that was in the script. Like I don't remember at one point it was developed in, but it was definitely in the script when when we went into production. And, you know, Missionary is one of those movies. See, I really like movies, and Dread is kind of like this, but Dread, Dread lets you know what kind of movie it's going to be, even though it has a lot of drama in it. Missionary doesn't. And I, I thought, you know... No, it doesn't. It's, you know, we're doing this independently, and it kind of hurt us in the festivals um, because we got a lot of feedback. They were like, oh we were really into this movie and like thought it was like this coming of age Mormon tale. And, and then like, it turns into this like fatal attraction. And I was like, yeah, that's why I loved it. Cause like, that's like how life yeah. is, you know, yeah. that, that's, that's how real life is. You're not like, yeah, nobody tells you your next door neighbor is going to like bash your head in with a rock. It just happens one day. You know what I mean? It's a nut job. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, the movie is kind of like this it's sort of a mutt, right? Like it starts out and it's sort of, Seems like it might be sort of a, you know, there's this Mormon character. And is it, yeah, you're right. Is it this coming of age thing? And then he falls for this older woman. And then it sort of turns into like a a, a sexy kind of drama. And then all of a sudden it starts shifting more into sort of thriller territory. And then by the end, it's it felt like a horror movie. Yeah. And I, I, I'm with you. I thought that was great. I loved it. I didn't know. As soon as I thought I had it pinned, it became something else. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really proud of that movie. I like what it's become. You know, I, I hope more people see it. Um, and, you know, but movies like that aren't for anyone, you know, they're more for like people who like that, that ride. And, and it's a hard film to market. And that was the problem. I think when the movie got released is they didn't know how to market it and they marketed it like a straight horror movie. And it's like anything, right. it's the furthest thing from a, totally. a straight horror movie. We, we had cut together a teaser trailer that I thought very much on point of, for the festivals and things like that. And then like when the distribution company got it, they made it into this, like they even made this poster that we were like, no, they made this poster with like him holding like a butcher knife and like, oh, covered in, it's like, he, when does he ever use a butcher knife? In the, you know what I mean? It's That's like, silly. Yeah. And they were like, well, we can sell a Mormon psychopath movie, you know? And that's how, but that's not the movie. You know, the movie is much different than that. You know what, I, you know what, what bugs me about that, too, and they, that I think that you were so smart to do is, like, the fact that the character is a Mormon. I never felt like the movie was saying that he does the things he does because of his faith or what he believes in. I felt like the, more, the Mormon part just kind of, you know, it, it created a scenario where he could become this outsider. And he, certain aspects of the story made sense because of the fact that he was part of this of this faith. But... But it never, the movie never says like, oh, he's like this because he's a Mormon or something ridiculous like that, which I think would have been offensive to anyone who is part of that church. And I think would be, you know, to anyone else, I think that's sort of, I don't know, that's, that's kind of an icky assertion yeah. to make. And to, to us, and if you watch the movie in, in retrospect, he turned it, he turned to that, to the, when you listen to what he says in the movie, you know, like, he was a he's such an awkward character and Mitch plays that so well. Yeah, he's really great. You know. Yeah. And he tells these stories and like the girl Dawn she's like this temptress in a way like she she has her own reasons and she's you totally understand everything. But he turned to the mission and to the Mormonism because he found 
a purpose that made sense to him. And if she never came around, you know, he would have been on that straight and narrow, you know, that the thing he needed and he had. And and we did. I mean, we really wanted to be accurate with the details of the 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 mission and the kind of everything that went into it and not not ever say like, oh, these people are like, like, it's the same thing with like Jesus freaks. It's like, it, it's always easy to like, you like, you say like Christians are, you know, how Christians are painted in movies. It's just an, always an easy thing to do. Well, and, and because of that, it's, it's, there's something kind of cheap about that to me. Yeah. It's a, yeah. it's sort of a cop out, right? Oh, they're like this because they believe this thing. Well, that's, you know, I don't know. I just, you know, for me, it was so much, you know, I also liked in the film, there's something you did that, that you know, and I guess this was in the script, but it, but very quickly, once his character starts to lose his shit and become this unhinged person, the church is like, whoa, no, this is, we're not, this yeah. guy's off, he's gone off, like, off the reserve. Like, I thought that was great because it immediately takes it away from, like, that they, you know, of course they would never uh, allow this behavior and they would know about it. Yeah. And him just going out, him just, like, leaving his partner, you know, is a big no-no like major infractions for that kind of thing. You know, you're, when you're on a mission, you're supposed to be with your, with your, the, I can't remember the term they use, but you're, you know, supposed to be with that person at all times. Um, so that's like this element of it. That's like, you know, that, that Jordan is so placed so well. He's like, what are you doing, man? You know? Yeah. I, like, I love that he, Jordan plays it. Like he, 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 he sort of tolerates a certain amount of like, okay, you're not really supposed to do this. But once his partners i don't as you said i don't know what, what it would call that but the, the guy he's buddied up with starts really you know kind of going a bit cuckoo he's like okay now you're just freaking me out there's kind of that you know he's he's almost a bit of a surrogate for the audience at times I yeah think, yeah yeah i agree and it, you know the other thing that's really neat about the dynamic there is though i felt bad for him at, at, at it's you know you start to feel less bad for him as the story wears on but i because she kind of does do a mean thing to that kid. You know what I mean? It's kind of not nice the way she treats him. Yeah. You know, and, and and she's a complex character and he's a complex character. But I liked that you didn't make it like, oh, you know, she's this sort of, um, you know, this poor, like struggling mom and she's got these relationship issues and she meets this guy who's nice to her. And then she does this thing. And she's like, I'm so sorry. I can't. You didn't go that route. She kind of she's a fairly callously kind of ditches him. And it, it he responds the way he does. Partially because, you know, he can't accept that. And, you know, I thought that was just a cooler way to go with it, where where she's, she felt more like a real person to me. She was fallible. She had, you know, it's like, I was talking to Dee Wallace in the show recently, I went back and watched Cujo. And Dee's character in Cujo is like that. She's a very flawed person. Yeah. Like she's cheating on her husband, who's a lovely guy in that movie. Yeah. You know, and they didn't make the husband like a prick. He's this really sweet guy and she's cheating on him. And so, you know, this movie, there, that it felt like that a bit to me. Yeah, good. I'm glad you say that. Yeah, because because I I wanted that movie to feel tragic at the end, you know, like never Kevin Brock, you know, Mitch's character. He does some unjustifiable things, of course, and he gets he goes into that territory. But what, like when it ends, I don't think anyone's like cheering. No. Right. That no. he it ends the way it does. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You, I mean, I think I think, you know, it's really easy with the kind of film that we're talking about to turn your bad guy, your villain into, you know, just a psycho nut job. And he doesn't, he does, he gets close, but he never becomes that. By the time it's over, we're kind of like, I don't feel good about how this played out for anybody really, you know, just kind of, and, and, and I think that's, 
that feels to me more like how that real story would would feel would play out. You know, if you were reading about it in the paper or something, it'd be like, oh man, what a what a sad, you know, horrible chain of events. Because that's kind of what it yeah. is, right? It's yeah, this exactly. chain of events that gets set in motion and just gets worse and worse. Well, and then it is that chain of events, which always fascinates me with things, is because it it is really like it goes back to that thing when you meet someone new, like when someone new comes into your life, you always have to sit back and say, okay, how can I treat this person? Because you don't know. You don't know. You, you get involved with someone or you become friends with someone and, and you're taking it at face value. And, but you, you always have to be considerate about someone else's situation. And when you don't, you can really open up a world of hurt for yourself. And I think that's the cautionary tale for like both a movie like Dread and a movie like Missionary. It deals with those same themes of like, because every time he becomes an aggressor, it's usually become because he he gets fucked with in some way. Yeah, you know? it's like yeah. like the, the you know when the when Kip is like when Kip Pardue's he comes in and he's like, who is this guy? You know, I'm going to teach him a lesson. You know, you know it's like it's like Mitch Ryan. He really develops this like repertoire with her son. He's a good model for her son. And they, she takes that all away. And then they, you know, they try to strong arm him. But he didn't do anything wrong to the kid. You know, he, it wasn't like he was like, like kidnapping the kid. And, yeah. And, yeah. And, you know, like doing something nefarious. The kid had no idea. Like, he's like, what? What's going on? Yeah. But it's like that aggression. Like, Kip's like, no, we got to put an end to this now. And, and they choose to, corner him right and that's why i mean I, I really like that part when he you know i i made it but i really like that part when when he shows up at kip's uh trailer yeah and he's like you know you know never never hurt what you're not prepared to kill yeah yeah because you just don't know what you're unleashing right? yeah you think you're just like beat the fuck out of this guy and be done with it and you say okay i won but that's that's what sets him off it's another one of those scenes, though, in the movie that, that like, I felt conflicted about it. I'm like, you know, Kyo Pardue's character at that point, like, you know, what he did was too far, too. Yeah. So I'm like, you know, every that that character kind of he he gave something up to do what he did to to the um, uh, Kevin is the is the name yeah, of the character, right? Kevin, the, yeah, the main character. You know, he he sort of gives something up uh, his some of his decency to do that to that character. What he does to him, you know, when they. All gets his whole family and they beat the shit yeah. out of him. Like it's too much. It's more than he should. Have. He doesn't go to the police. He doesn't approach it the way he ought to, right? And and so then when when Kevin shows up at the trailer, and you you kind of have a sense of that it's going to go pretty badly for for Kip Burton's yeah. character at that point. And I wasn't sure how I felt about that. I was like, he kind of deserves it, but he doesn't really. It's not his fault. This guy is kind of batshit crazy. But and that's constantly the relationship I had to these characters in this film was going. I don't know how I feel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think that's to your credit and to the film's credit. I think that's sometimes for my favorite reaction to this kind of movie. Yeah. You want to feel conflicted a bit. Yeah. It's not, it's not simple. It's not clean cut. You know what I mean? Um, like Adrian Lynn has done that in some of his kind of erotic thrillers, right? I mean, you're watching a movie like Unfaithful and you're like, yeah, man, like, uh, I don't know. I feel bad for Richard Gere. He goes too far, but now I'm, you know, you're with him. You're with him. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think this movie kind of achieves that. And I think, you know, I was just talking with an, we had an, um, an actor on the show recently, Laurie Herring, who, who we were talking about a, a film that she did was sort of erotic thriller. And I was saying to her, like, have you noticed how erotic thrillers have really kind of gotten phased out? 
Um, you know, in the in, in the sense that they don't open it, they certainly don't open it in theaters anymore. Well, they just did right Deep Water. That's like one of those classic erotic thrillers. I don't think anybody watched it. I don't think so, no, but I haven't watched it either. But you know, that was the first time I've seen one of those, like, oh, okay. Yeah. This is one of those movies. Yeah. And you know, I like a lot of those movies though. I like they're yeah. for grown-ups. They're adult, they're, mo- they're adult movies about adult things for adults. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's no fucking superheroes and you know, it's just, I like that, but I just, they don't really do them much anymore. And I, I don't know why, because there's so many great ones. Yeah. Um, and this movie felt like some of those great ones. Oh, good. All right, good. We achieved something. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Granted, it's not, it's not out right now. Yeah, it was hard to, you know, it was hard to see. That kind of sucks. It was, yeah, you know, it was, it was one of those situations that happened recently where the producers, the studio wanted to renew the deal, and it was like, they hadn't been reporting on it. And like, you know, the producers were like, well, why do I want to redo this deal? So they just pulled it. And um, they have, they, you know, they have the movie. So it's, we'll eventually find a, a, another home for it and release it again. But yeah, right now. So it was never on like physical media, like Blu-ray or DVD or anything like that? It came out on DVD. You, yeah, you, I mean, you can still get it on DVD itself for sure. But it's not like, it's not streaming anywhere right now. Um, right, right. But yeah, you can still get the DVD and stuff when it came out. And it was on like Netflix. I think it premiered on Netflix. It was on Netflix for quite a while when it first came out. And it, um, I've got a quote from Variety about the movie I want to read you. Um, the Blasey's movie may not be especially flattering towards Mormons, but it's not exactly a love letter to Florida either. <laughs> Is that... Bit, That's from Variety. What, dude, I think that... in. Is that the, the review? Because I literally quoted it like on my Twitter page. The end, it, it's like a pretty scathing review of the movie. And then the last line is like, technical aspects were adequate. <laughs> is that from that? And I was like, you know, like variety hails. Technical aspects were adequate. It was like the funniest thing. I don't, Justin Chang was the name of the critic, but I don't, I'm trying to remember. I Because I read a bunch of reviews for the film. And, uh, you know, there was definitely some good ones uh, and there was some middling ones. And then, there, yeah, there was some bad ones. And like, I can't recall if the variety one was full. I feel like in my memory is that it was sort of middling, that, that it praised certain things about performances and stuff. But uh, but I think if I recall correctly, this is not my feeling. This is Variety's feeling, I think. I think they they made a comment about it being a glorified uh, Lifetime movie. You know? And, you know, I, I can get that because of the content for sure. Right. I mean, I still, it's still one of my favorite movies that I've directed. You know, it's in my top. It's one of my favorite movies that you directed. I, I'm really fond of it. I like it a lot. Like if it was, if there was a Blu-ray, it'd be on my shelf. It'd be on my shelf too if there was a Blu-ray. <laughs> well, you know. We need one. Don't you have some saying that or something? Yeah, no. Again, well, like, yeah, I would have had a poster of a, a missionary with a butcher knife. The butcher knife. Yeah. Yeah. Michael well, Mormon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, but yeah, you got to find that, that article, whatever that, that review was. And it was one of the big outlets. I can't remember if it was like EW or variety, but I just thought it was hilarious. I'll have to look. It was I'll so funny. It. That is so funny. Te- what, what was the wording? Technical merits are. It was literally the, literally the last sentence. Technical aspects were adequate. <laughs> That's so funny. It was just so like. That's such a weird way to end a review. Yeah. I know it was so, it was like, they didn't wanna, like want to knock the, like the technical aspects of the movie. Yeah. And it was just like, yeah. that was the end. That was the last line. They probably hired a real editor, color timed it. You know what I mean? <laughs> they did a proper mix. You know, that's all fine. That's okay. That's all fine. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh. I mean, and one, you know, the last thing I want to give you some kudos for on this movie was thank you from the bottom of my heart for putting a dog in the movie and not doing that cheese ball fucking thing of killing the dog just to make the audience go, oh my God. Like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Every, no, never. I, I would never do it. And then and that specifically, I know. And that was, we talked about that so much. And I was like, I don't, I don't remember. I was like, I'm not killing this dog. That dog is going to jump out the window and we're going to hear him run away. <laughs> He's going to be barking all the way home. It's because it's, you know what I mean? Even when there's films that have done that where maybe it is just, it always feels manipulative of, to me to kill the pet. Yeah. It's just, you know, Fatal Attraction did it with a rabbit. And I think even then they knew like, well, we can't do it with a dog or a cat. Maybe we can get away with a rabbit. Yeah. But immediately, like, I know a lot of people whether it's warranted or not, they will turn on a movie the minute you do that. And I just think as a filmmaker, I'm like, I don't want the audience to turn on me in that way. Yeah. yeah. Because I think it's an audience's way of going, this is cheap. You're, you're, you're manipulating me in a cheap way. Killing a, a cute dog or a cat is easy way to get an emotional response for people. And I don't think most of the rare, I think like in Fatal Attraction, it's memorable. Let's say it's memorable for sure. It is. We're still talking about it. Yeah. But sure. there's a lot of movies that, People are like, oh, if I have my bad guy kill a cat or a dog, that means he's really bad. Yeah. And I think that's dumb. I think like, totally. I think you lose more characters than it's worth. I think if you're trying to tell like um, a genuine story, like, you know, we need to talk about Kevin or something like that with Tilda Swin. I don't, I, I'm just using that for an example. I don't even know if this happens, but that is a movie you'd be like, okay, if this character kill, hurts an animal as a child, you know, that informs. Because he's a sociopath. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It informs something. Right. That, you know, but I hate it when they're like, oh, my bad guy just needs to kill a, an animal. Uh, Jason, my my producer on on this show, was talking about, uh, do you remember that movie Fear with Mark Wahlberg? Yeah, yeah. Reese Witherspoon? Mark Wahlberg's great in that movie. Yeah. But there's this moment toward the end of the film when he gets really unhinged and he goes psycho. And, and there's a part where they're in the house and he pushes the dog's head through the dog. It's so, it's, it, I, I hated that. I was like, you didn't need yeah, to I do know, that. I we know. already get that he's bad. Like, he also didn't seem like the kind of character that would do that. Not at all. When you watch him with the dog, you get a real sense that he has affection for animals. And it's, it, it, it I felt they betrayed that character by doing yeah. that. It was cheap. Because I think in, in a similar vein to like, missionary you know those movies have those parallel like mark Wahlberg legitimately wants the nicole character reese witherspoon she wants her just like you know mitch wants wants don um catherine you know it's not like yeah they have this this twisted notion like well if like this girl is somehow gonna i'm gonna win her back she's gonna see the light and that's an interesting thing and like killing her dog that's not a way to do it. Not going to help. Not going to help you. Yeah. Not going to help you. No, I agree. Like, and so, you know, yes. Thank you for not killing the dog. <laughs> thank you. Thank You're you. welcome. Because I am absolutely one of those people that when a movie kills the dog is like. I watched, we, we just watched Don't Breathe too. I hadn't seen it yet. And I was pissed they killed mm -hmm. the fucking dog in that movie. Right. And at this point, like you really can't do it in a way or for a reason that doesn't feel generally kind of just lazy. Yeah. Because when I see a dog in a certain kind of movie now, I'm like, they're either going to kill it or they're not. And they're probably going to. And so when yours, you know, when we, first of all, you know, the dog, like there's a scene where he has the dog and he brings the dog back. They're looking forward to something. He comes out of the brush with the dog on a leash. And, um, you know, and it's this cute, like it was a lab or something. It's a really yeah. cute dog. And I was just like, oh, Anthony, don't do it to us, man. Don't do don't it. Don't do it, man. And you didn't. You didn't. Um, last shift, 2014. IMDb synopsis. Ready? I'm ready. 
A rookie cop's first shift alone in the last night of a closing police station turns into a living nightmare. That one's pretty good. Pretty good. And there's no spelling errors, I, I don't think. None. Crazy. None. No, it's good. Um, so, okay, the lead actress, Juliana, how do you pronounce this last name? Harkavy. Harkavy, yeah. Harkavy. Uh, this is more or less like a one-woman show she's doing in this movie. And she's incredible. She's great. Um, tell me a bit about how she got, did she audition? How did, how did she get this role? We, we were shooting in Florida. I like approached Scott. And I was like, really want to do this. I had an idea for a dispatch office where it was a super contained supernatural horror movie. And I like said, why don't we do this? Blah, blah, blah. And, and we're like, he's like, okay, let's do it. You know, so we started writing it together and we, it was one of those unique situations where we agreed to do the movie, had the funding for it before we started writing. So we started writing and we were writing and scouting and like casting at the same time. And just like, how did, sorry, how'd you get, you had the funding before you had even written? Yeah. Cause I had already made two movies with Scott and, and I, okay. So he was like, yeah, okay. Yeah. So like we, and we were writing this one together. Um, and we, it was interesting that way. Cause like, while we were writing, we were scouting and we found the police station and then we kind of reworked the script. And once we had a first draft done, we're like, all right, let's do some LA casting, but we'll cast here too in Florida. And Juliana, we had met on, I believe it was missionary. She had come in. She had done a Dolphin's Tale. She was a local down there and she had done these movies, a Dolphin's Tale, which were like pretty, you know, like Morgan Freeman's in them. And they were pretty wide released. But she lived in Florida and we had met her on another movie. And I can't remember if it was Casadega or Missionary, but she was great. She just wasn't right for the part, but she was excellent. And she had these great eyes and she was a really good actress, had a really unique look. So we... You know, we were talking about a couple of people we knew. And then I was like, well, you know, Juliana's down here. She would be really good for this part. And I believe we just, once we decided we weren't going to like go after, like try to get like a name or something like that, we just offered her the movie. And, and it was like, you know, not to like throw her under the bus, but it was a not, she was SAG and we shot that non-SAG. So she had to like, you know, she had to, to do it without the the paperwork and stuff. And she, she did because it was like a lead and it was her movie completely. It's like nonstop for her. Right. But that's how we met and, and, um, and how she got involved. And when you're doing a film like this one where you have like, you know, as I said, it's kind of this one, it's sort of a one woman show in the sense that the whole movie kind of hangs on, on that performance. Is that one of those things? Does that cause any kind of, you know, I, I've never done a film like that where there was the whole movie was on one person in this way. Is that stressful at all? Or are you like, man, if this, if we got this wrong or if there's a problem here, this whole thing's screwed. I think, yes, it's stressful in the, in the writing phase and the, but the ones you find, well, like if you find the actor, then it's not stressful, you know, cause it's like, okay, I'm, right. I'm confident that this actor can bring He's this got this. Yeah. yeah. So, but, but, yeah. but, you know, when you're doing an independent movie, you're like, geez, what if we can't find the actor? 
and you know, you're kind of up against a wall with timing and stuff and you're casting someone who's not a hundred percent, then yeah, it would be a problem. Um, I mean, I just think if, you know, even films that I've directed where you're like, you know, you find yourself in a spot, you know, I, I'm not going to name names, but where, where you're making a movie and you're like, hmm, this actor isn't quite as right as I thought they were. And, and you're, it's too late. And you're like, thank goodness I have these other performers that can kind of prop this up and help me get through this and make sure that this will yeah. work. I mean, that's something we always have to deal with, right? I mean, you just never know. Because even the, even the most seasoned actor in an audition or someone who's working all the time, you get them on set and for whatever, very, you know, for whatever reason, they may be having a hard time remembering lines or they may be in their head. But, you know, it's like, right, it's your job to get them out of that situation, you know, which is the fun part. I mean, I, you know, I enjoy that part of directing, trying to, you know, working with actors. This is probably my, that's the reason why I direct. I really like to work with actors. That's interesting. That's you, you like full on. That's the reason why you direct films is to work with actors. That's the thing I like most about directing. I've, I don't think I've ever heard a director say that. <laughs> I it's not I mean it's not often, right? Like unless you're like Altman or something. I've heard directors talk about, you know, being an actor's director and loving actors. And you know, I love actors for sure. I started, you know, on the stage as an actor and, and I've always loved actors. But, you know, I mean most directors say, well, it's about storytelling. And then, you know, then they also love actors. You just full on said I direct because I like working with actors. That's cool. Yeah, I mean that that really is. I like that collaboration. I like that um bringing a character to life you know and finding that character i think it's really a fulfilling part of it this is this movie's like you know it's 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 kind of like in some ways it's like a series of really great scares and set pieces that this woman this character goes through but you know and there there is a story there but but it's kind of secondary to what this woman's kind of just this this these horrors that she experiences you know, and it, it, one of the things I was thinking watching the movie is like, in a way, Last Shift feels like a haunted house movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, 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 you know, it, it has those kind of, um, those beats, yeah. you know, that, that, that a lot of great haunted house movies have. Um, it, it doesn't quite look like a haunted house movie. It doesn't quite have like, you know, the, some of the traditional kind of haunted house qualities, but, but it does, you know, essentially it, it is kind of that. When you, when you were doing the script, was it sort of a thing that at, at any point were you like, hmm, maybe this is light on plot? Or were you guys always kind of just comfortable with the way it was going? It was, t- so after doing like Missionary and Casadega with, with Scott and then, you know, having come off Dread, um, I had made three genre films that weren't very scary. You know what I mean? Like, like they're scary. But they're very heavy on drama, like you know, in missionary being a you know a missionary being an erotic thriller, it has a couple of scary beats, but you know, like Casadega's got some scares, but there's a, a lot of other stuff going on in that movie, and Dread is like a psychological thriller. And I was like, when I I said I said two things, like I just want to make a fucking scary movie. I want to scare people because I really enjoy scaring people. Like growing up like Halloween. I'm that guy who's hiding in the closet. I'll hide in the closet for, for, yeah, for jumping out, scaring the shit out of people. Yeah. To, to yeah. scare somebody. Yeah. Yeah. You and me. Both. You know? <laughs> people hate yeah, exactly. me around that time of year for that exact reason. Um, yeah. It's like, I it got to the point where I remember when I was at home, my sister used to come into a room and just she would stop and stand there and yell out, where are you? 
Kevin, Kevin yeah. until I appeared because she just didn't trust that I wasn't going to pop yes, out. Yes, that's the, yeah. you want them traumatized, right? You, <laughs> you want them to yeah, never be yeah, able to yeah, live yeah. a normal life again. You know, like, like when they, whenever <laughs> they walk into a dark room, they're waiting for uh, someone or you to drop that. That's yeah. Specifically. That's, I call a perfect, you've, you've done your job, right? <laughs> but right. Right. With yeah, last shift, yeah. it was totally that. I'm like, I just want to scare the fuck out of people, and I want it to be 100 percent experiential, just experiential. I did not right. want to get bogged down by plot. I wanted everything to be in yeah. the moment, and yeah, you know. And I think we were lucky with Juliana because it also had some really genuine emotion come out of it, which I was not on the For page, sure. you know, in that. She, she she brought, brought it. it like it was not on the page. Um, yeah, like you know, we in that movie we definitely ad libbed a lot. I like ad libbing and with all of my movies, but we definitely ad libbed a lot and came up with scenes kind of on the fly sometimes. But you know, I think her journey and the relationship with her father like genuinely poignant and like she brings a lot to it. And that there's like. Some of those words might have been on the page, but it, like you read it, it's not like it's not that what she did. No, yeah, it's funny because I was reading like, you know, uh, uh, like not these weren't reviews; these were like articles uh, that had been in various you know, like genre websites and stuff like that um, about Last Shift, and there was there was a, like several that made these kind of comparisons to movies like Precinct Thirteen and sort of Carpenter nostalgia. And the funny thing is, you know, I'm a huge Carpenter buff and I love Assault and Precinct. I never got that from this movie. It's in a police station. But other than that, I never, it never felt <laughs> totally like that movie or like Carpenter to me. I just didn't see that. And maybe I'm wrong. Could you tell me? Was that, was that for you? Was that a, an inspiration? No, it, no, it was funny because like when the movie was made and all said and done, it, those, that was like the easiest comparison that I was like, yeah, sure. Like that's the easiest way to sum up yeah. the movie. It's like, because it's the same fucking location, but other than that, like that's a pretty lazy comparison, I think. Yeah, it's it's a Solon's Precinct thirteen with with ghosts, right? But that was never like we had never sought out to do that because it really is. There's no assault on, <laughs> you know. I mean, no, and in, in, in that movie, like the, the the characters can't leave. In this movie, like you know, because there's these people, these the prisoners, and all this stuff, and like you know that that movie's, but that movie's kind of a siege movie. This does not feel like a siege. movie. Yeah. Salted Priest of the Team was with John doing Howard Hawks, you know what I mean? The, which is often who he's aiming. You were not emulating Howard Hawks with this movie. <laughs> no. And I drew much more inspiration from like Nightmare on Elm Street right. than I did. You know, like, and I love, you know, Carpenter is probably, Carpenter is probably my favorite out of the- The big horror guys, yeah. You know, the yeah. genre filmmakers. But but like, you know, like, they live and the thing and- this movie felt more to me like the thing than Assault on Priest of 13, to be honest with you. Yes, because it's like they're they're dealing with okay, well, do we leave? Do we stay? Like what's what's going on in the building? Well, and it's also like I've always thought the thing was was kind of similar in this in terms of structure of like the the thing, in this case, the McCready character, the Kurt Russell character, is going through like these sort of set pieces and the and John's intention of that was just to scare the fuck out of you. And the thing isn't super yep. plot heavy. They find an alien, the alien goes into people and yeah. you know, you learn the rules and the movie goes. And there isn't like, you know, and, and that feels more to me like this film than it than Assault in Pre-State 13. Was. Yeah, right. It's that total just experiential like yeah, right. film viewing experience. Like you're just like, okay gauntlet it's a gauntlet you know it's it's meant to be that gauntlet yeah and that kind of 
gnashing, biting, no holds barbed. We want to scare the fuck out of you's tone. You know that the thing has is is what this has. And it's not the precinct thirteen. It's not even a horror movie. So it's I don't know. I just yeah, I don't get it. Just Whatever. Just fucking people go police station stole the precinct thirteen. John, <laughs> file that article. Police station. <laughs> Sorry if anyone that appears on this wrote one of those articles. There's that part where uh, I think Officer Price is the name of the character. Uh huh. That scare where he's talking to her and then he turns around and Bagbit's head was blown open. Yeah. First of all, loved it. That's such a great moment. It it reminded me of that beat in in Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense. Yeah. I mean, it's sure. I lift. Was that was that in your? It was totally that. You know, is that because I I thought it's that moment. It's a version of that, which right. That's my homage to Sixth Sense. But the difference with the Sixth Sense is that you you. That that movie is just um, that scene in Sixth Sense. It gives you chills. It's very effective. Uh, it really it's a, a very effective. But you know, from the second, you know, it's a dead kid. Like we're, we've established that yeah. by now in that movie. Like it's just a very effective like gag. It's very short, and I really wanted to. I'm like that's you know, and like the Sixth Sense. I'm sure is not the first movie to do like oh somebody turns around and they're you know got they're dead right. I probably not, but it's the, certainly the first one that comes to mind for me. Yeah, but it probably isn't, you know, <laughs> in the sense that in that, you know, in that movie, we know he's we know it's a ghost. And I was like, I want to do a you know a version of this scene. Yeah. But I want it to be a love interest in the sense, you know, it's kind of a flirty. It's a long flirty. Right. And it's also um, a very important character moment. So you just have no clue. You just have like no you just have no idea, like by the time it happens, yeah, that like oh shit, like I thought that would be very cool to like really like have this like heartfelt moment with these two, and like you know it's kind of flirty and there's some sexual tension, and then he delivers some very crucial, very crucial emotional information to to her, and then he's like, all right, I gotta go, and he's he's dead. He's one of those guys. You know what's funny is I'm like I was. In that scene, it has the sort of beats that some of those scenes that you've done in some of your other films have, where it's like the movie kind of gives us a break to sort of have these characters talk. We were talking about that earlier. That kind of, And it's almost like you subverted your own formula there. You had this scene where the audience gets a moment to, and, and then it's it, like, it's it. so for me, because, you know, watching your films consecutively in the way that I did, it, even though I had seen the movie already, and I hadn't really forgot about, but I got so caught up in that scene because it was like, oh, this is one of Anthony's scenes that he does so well where these characters stop and they take your break and they chat. And then it was like, oh, fuck, right, the, the head. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not <laughs> suggesting that you did something like super meta where you're like, I'm going to do this own thing on my own thing. But, but you know, I know. you know, it was, it's but, just an effective moment. It's an effective moment. And yes, like I, like that, that's definitely my homage moment to the sixth sense and just trying to kind of spin it a bit differently, take it a bit further. And, um, you, you know, what was interesting when we shot that scene, it, it had to do with the scheduling thing because of how we set up shots. But when, during that scene, he's got this prosthetic on his head the whole time, the entire scene. And, you know, most people would be like, okay, you'll shoot the scene and then throw them in prosthetics and then come back to do the gag so the gag's fresh. Or just use CGI all around. Yeah. But because of a scheduling reason, we had to do it all together. So we we put the prosthetic on him, shot both scenes, a scene at the door, 
and the scene and the thing. And if you notice, it, he never shows the back of his head in the entire scene. And I kind of liked that because it, it really restricted the actor's movements <clears throat> where he could not ever like turn his head to the side or, or do anything. You know, it was never a cheat. I was never cheating the audience in terms of like, I knew that going in, like this was going to be genuine. He was always going to have this hole in the back of his head and he's going to have to deliver it like that and never let her see it. Well, and I'm guessing also part of that is because the movie is kind of, you know, stays with her. We're always with her. Yeah. So if she doesn't know it, we can't know. Yeah. It. Was it was, you know, that must have been part of the thinking there as well. I would Yeah, guess. for sure. Was there any, you know, particular films that, you know, we've talked about films that didn't inspire this film. What were, you know, were there any particular films that you had in mind when you guys were writing this and then when you were shooting it? I mean, definitely like Nightmare on Elm Street. I wanted it to feel, have that kind of vibe, you know, it, um, where you can't trust what you see and that kind of thing. Yeah. 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 You know, where it's like in and out of reality. And, you know, I, I think that's, oh, and the biggest, like the biggest inspiration for the movie was this documentary called Manson. Because to me, what always evolved into the concept was like, well, what if the Manson family like committed suicide at the police station and were haunting the building? And I'm like, I think that's pretty scary. Like if the, the Manson family is scary on its own, well, imagine if they're ghosts. I mean, I, that's, yeah, I was going to ask you that. What, what came first? Did you, did you say, you know, I want to do a, a cult horror film or did you go, okay, I want to do a, you know, this police station and then and then go, oh, you know what? We should we should we put in this this cult component. Like, you know, I, I was curious which one of those elements occurred to you in the beginning. It, it definitely started as a dispatch office, which was like one person in a dispatch office, which kind of became an officer in a police station. It kept a lot of that dispatch phone calls and things like that. But originally it was this dispatch I idea. We even toyed around like making it like a UFO situation and things like that originally. And then it quickly evolved into this kind of mythology with the, a Manson-esque family. I actually think I'm, gl- I'm pretty glad you didn't go like the alien route, I think. Yeah, it would have been a much different kind of movie. Very. very um, yeah. But the, this documentary, I recommend watching it if you've never seen it. It's called Manson. Like approximately, it's a documentary, like, do you know when it came out-ish? It came out, um, what is the, so it came out the year that he was arrested. Okay. Um, which was like, it's like 19... Oh, so it's older. Yeah, it's like 1972. So it's a really interesting story behind it. So the movie was made. It's a very... The movie was never released um, because of what happened. The murders had taken place. Well, after the murders had taken place, there was still... The Manson family was still living at the ranch. You know, it, it was only only affected a few members of the Manson family. They were all still living at the ranch. And they were like going to the courthouse, like in support, not all of them, but some of them. So what happened is these documentary filmmakers and people in the Manson family made this documentary about the ranch. So it's, it's just this amazing snapshot of them living at the ranch and talking about, talking about what's going on. And it's so fresh and it never got released. It won an Academy Award that year, but the movie never got released because of that wasn't Twiggy from. It was her assassination attempt on the president. She got arrested, and then the the movie became. Um, she was in the movie, so so the like I don't know if it was the FBI or something said they could not release the film because of the trial, but it ended up winning a documentary that year. 
though never uh, winning up an Academy Award, but never getting released. So, so I ordered the movie directly from one of these ex members of the Manson family. So it came to me. This is for the oh wow. So and you'll see my names on it. Yeah, it's like you're. It's like it's, it was issued to you. It was issued to me, and it's signed. It's got a little initial here, and it smelled like it smelled like beef when I got it. But it's the first edition promotional DVD made available via exclusivefilms.com as issued for in-home or office viewing only. So, yeah. Where did you, how did you get, where did you get it? How did you get it? Like, uh, you got it on the internet? I got it online. Uh, I don't know. I re- don't remember. I was looking for a, a good documentary on the Mansons and this is like, I thought it was, the. it came out in 1973. I thought the lore behind it was so interesting and um, it's great. It's, it's a really informative. The horrifying and shocking story that never ends, but it's really fascinating. It will, it will, and I made everyone watch this um, okay. before we made the movie. I had like a screening for the cast and crew, and uh, kind of let it inform everyone. You know, and it's funny because like when the movie came out, I saw it. You know, pretty pretty early on in its release, uh, like because I knew you and I was excited to check it out, and 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 I was like, oh wow, he's really kind of it out of the park with this one. And, and I, I had a sense that I was like, this one's going to really resonate with horror fans. This is the kind of stuff that every real horror fan wants to see. Like it's, you know what I mean? Stuff like Missionary I loved, but I, I know that, you know, a horror fan might, you know, not quite yeah. meet that movie where it's coming from. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, totally. But this is, a through and, this is a straight ahead horror picture. Like it just through and through, this is a horror film. And, uh, you know, and as, as I started to talk to people about it, everybody loved it. You know what I mean? It was just one of those movies. It was just like, but but then it was funny because when I talked to you uh, for the first time about the movie, you were like, yeah, you know, but just like not a ton of people saw it. And that was so surprising. Yeah. Which is why we're reimagining it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, that was something I was, you know, that I'm curious about, like, you know, the, the, the prospect of reimagining it, like, you know, a lot of the times, you know, you think of people reimagining a film because the movie didn't work or because, you know, it's, it's a different director who thinks they have any take on something or something. But in this case, this is your own film that you made not that long ago that people really liked. So I'm just like, you know, it, when the prospect came of sort of reimagining how to do this, you know, did you go through, okay, well, what are we going to do to make this movie, you know, I don't want to say better, but like, I, I, I guess bigger. I think better is the right, I think better and bigger is the right word. But, and, you know, and I can't talk about this new one yet, you know, too much, but, you know, I, listen, I, I, the first movie, I'll never make a complaint about that movie. I think it, we delivered exactly what we wanted to for the price we had. And we were super excited on how it did. We, we weren't super excited about how it was, again, handled with the release. Like Magnolia, big company. They got it out there. I think they, you know, I think because the movie, in my opinion, was such an audience pleaser that they could have done, they could have taken more chances with it. Because I don't think many people would be like, oh, I wish I didn't see that movie. Um, Horror fans, right? And I think, yeah, yeah. I think in general, in our community, we get a sense that like, oh, everybody saw it. But in the bigger picture, when when people really find it, it it was not getting you know it did not get the kind of release that that put it in enough in front of enough eyes, you know, right? Or to garner it a, a franchise or anything like that. So I think now this time around, we reaches one of our main goals, and and it, and it, right. you know, 
as they said, a reimagining, doing it on a bigger scale and kind of getting to explore the things we kind of had to leave on the table with the first movie. And I think it's really cool for you as a director. Like I'm thinking of some of the projects I've done where I'm like, man, you know, the, the idea was great. I'm even maybe happy with the film, but we didn't have enough money or time or something. And like the idea of being able to go and like do it again, I can see the appeal to that. You know what I mean? But I don't think, you know, a lot of directors get that opportunity and you're kind of getting to do that. I mean, it's definitely rare. It's definitely a rare situation. Yeah, totally. You know, I mean, especially not, you know, movies don't get, you know, besides like cabin fever, you know, movies Mm -hmm. that are current really don't get remade for any good reason very often, especially something like, you know, foreign movies. Yeah, that happens all the time. But yeah, where they're like, oh, people don't know how to read. Yeah, we better, you know, make this for a, Less good and yeah. in English, yeah. Right. And but you know, it it doesn't happen very often, and it's it's going to be an interesting journey. I mean, I'm we're excited about it because at first it was like I was really into the idea, but then it was like the challenge of like, okay, but now I got to do it. Like now, I just like you know, now I got to actually, <laughs> yeah, yeah, wrap my head around because it, it figure this out, crack this nut, yeah, yeah, right. You know, it's kind of like you have to unravel the movie already you gotta like get your head out of well it. i feel like you would almost it it would be easier if the first one had this thing where you're like okay that thing didn't quite work or we did this totally thing. but it, that's not the case you know what i mean so it's like okay we had something that did work but we're just gonna do this other thing with it yeah and we have to be mind we want to be mindful of also people who have already seen the first one right right i was just so you say know that. yeah you want to give them a reason to see this one so that's something we're being very mindful of um and but it is, it's just like kind of this mind switch that um, we wrote extensive treatments for because I, because I really needed to explore like, okay, what is this going to be? You know, you know, mm-hmm. you were like, like, you know, the first treatment was like six pages and it was like, here's the movie. <laughs> and then, then, and then it's, as you unravel it, you're like, okay, you're like un, unmaking a bed, you know, and, and like going back to the roots of it and like, okay getting excited again for for what you were doing you have to like be reinvigorated by it and it's like i'm kind of torn because there's you know between like that that last shift is on some level my favorite of your films but it's sort of i've almost at this point it's kind of tied with missionary well maybe i should remake missionary too (laughs) do it yeah just start remaking everything you've done before With more money. <laughs> the next 10 years. I think that's what you should do. That's what you should do. I think that's what you should do. Um, no, I, I think it's just like they fulfill something very different. They're both the kind of movies that I really love. Like, uh, I love the, you know, as we said, kind of straight ahead horror film qualities of, of Last Shift. It's it's a pure horror film. And and I love that about it. And it's scary. Um, and and it's, I'm kind of a hard guy to scare with a movie. And, and this movie is scary. Um, and Missionary, just I love that it's a movie for grownups uh, dealing with grown up things and and not taking easy ways out and not killing the dog. Um, <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, let's talk about most likely to die. Here's the IMDb synopsis: A group of former classmates gather for a pre party at one of their homes the night before their ten year high school reunion, and one by one, their ability slain in a manner befitting each senior's yearbook superlative. Very few people have the word superlative in their synopsis. <laughs> Let's <laughs> see. There's only one word for it. Absolutely. I don't know what the other word would be. Superlative. Yeah, I don't know what the other word would be. Um, I don't know. If, do you have superlatives in, in Canada? 
I think it's a bigger thing in the States for sure. Like there's certain tropes in, in most likely to die that I was less familiar with. Cause we don't really like, it, I feel that way. Like when I watch frat movies, we don't have fraternities in this country the way that you guys do. You know what I mean? It's not as an institution yeah. for us because you know, it's because it's so uh, unappealing. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> I've never seen a fraternity movie where I'm like, that. Look, you know what? Maybe they're being hard on these. These look fun. They always look awful to me. I just, but you know, what do I know? I know. I know. They're all, I don't think. I don't think there's ever been a positive fraternity movie made, which is kind of funny. I mean, were you in a fraternity? Like it's always like, no, no, of course no. Do I, I look don't. like I was in a fraternity? No. If, if film students and like art students don't end up in fraternities. I wouldn't think so. I wouldn't think so. No. So most likely to die. Like there was something I was thinking when I was watching this movie, and I'm curious if 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 I'm right about this. I feel like you were doing 90s slasher with this movie. Oh, yeah, 100%. Specifically. It feels very kind of awesome. Because to me, I'm like, 90s slashers are criminally underrated. There's some really fun ones. And I have a, a fondness for some of those films. And just like, but, you know, they always kind of get shit-talked. And I, and I don't know why. This was, you know, Most Likely to Die is that one movie I really wish I got to do a sequel to. Because we have like a, we have like a trilogy planned out. And, you know, again, most likely to die is, a, is like a product of a lot. Like the first movie I'd had where shit, some shit went wrong on set. Like our generator went, we like lost a day and a half of production over the course of it. You know, we, we couldn't finish um, scenes with, with certain actors. You know, Busey, he was coming in and we didn't get to finish his 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 arc properly with that said there's a lot of things in that movie i love um and as a whole i wish we could have really finished it the way it was meant to be done uh but yes it was totally like meaning like it was not con- she had written it some several years prior and i was like this is like a 90s slasher just as a 90s slasher and i wanted to bring some other elements in it with like the the graduate killer was not in the movie. It was a different kind of killer, and the kind of the complicated backstory was not in the movie. I'm like, no, this needs to feel like Scream or I know what you did last summer. You know, Valentine. Those movies where like the ending is all exposition. You know, and I know some people are like, like, wait, you want to not do a thing like that? I was like, no, I want to do this scene. The scene yeah, where they yeah, reveal yeah. this complex backstory. Everything, yeah. And, you know, and and I thought, and Chad, I thought he's a really solid actor. And I was like, I thought he handled that really well. I'm jumping ahead, but you can ask the questions. But yes, 90s, it was definitely 90s thriller all the way. 90s slasher all the way. What's your favorite of the 90s slashers? Scream, I mean, for sure. I Scream is like, you know, when I, I saw it when it came out and it's just an all around solid movie. And it's because the characters are so good. You know, they, they, you suffer much with them through the sequels because you love them so much and, and they have such good chemistry. Did you like the new one? I did not, unfortunately, because I really, I really um, loved Ready or Not. And, and when I heard those guys were directing, I was like, yeah, that they're like a really good choice for the franchise. And I felt like their like hands were tied in a way. It felt like it didn't do anything new. I was so, so disappointed by just the sameness of it. Like, it was essentially like part two. Yeah. 
don't you think it's kind of this thing now that the horror is kind of really getting into a pattern of this kind of legacy character stuff where it's like we got to appease the new people, but we also got to appease the older fan. And there's too many masters, I think, there. You kind of have yeah. to just sort of, I don't know, it's hard to move forward if you're trying to do this other thing. And, you know, and they were like, they had a lot of stipulations there. They're trying to do justice to the West Craven aesthetic and feel and yeah. make it feel like it's kind of a West movie. And then they're trying to, you know, kind of honor these legacy. And then they're trying to introduce these new characters and make it for people who might not have been as familiar with the old. Like, that's a lot of stuff to have to fulfill. It, it was. And I felt like that. And I don't want to shit talk. The Like, I, I still love the characters. And I really like those filmmakers. And I feel, and I hope in the next movie they get to really let loose and do something more original. Um. But I, you know, we went and saw it and I was like, man, I was really looking forward to this. And they're like, I just don't care. Like, I didn't even care they killed Dewey. I was just like, I don't care. And it's, it's a damn shame I don't care that Dewey got killed. And, by, and you know what really bothers me in the screen movies? In this one, in this one and the last one, when they try to make us believe that like a four foot girl is in that costume. <laughs> yeah. And I think, and I think that's, a, I think that's, undermining your audience that you don't care enough to to convince us that that makes sense because right it doesn't it doesn't make sense like it, it, that that does not work yeah she was not in that costume that's a stunt man yeah it's not her moving like that and if you want her to be the killer then put her in the yeah, costume. having that kind of strength and yeah yeah no for sure yeah i mean you know i almost like i had some some difficulty with how the new Halloween films kind of were doing that kind of legacy stuff. But but yeah, they did it better, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. Because Laurie Strode still does she that character um can you know that they that's the only real kind of legacy component we're really moving with. And we want it. We want to see Jamie. Yeah, and she's fantastic. But here there's like and she uh, yeah, because she is the the from a performance. I mean Judy Grill, there's a lot of great actors in these new Halloween films, but uh, and you and I were talking about how great the flashbacks were in the second film, and they really kind of killed that. But, but uh, yeah, in this film, I just in the, in the new screen it was like this thing of like, I don't know, just you know, like you said when Dewey died, I was just like, well, they had to do. That. Yeah, I knew that going in, they were going to do. Yeah, that. Well, they had to do. You know that. what I mean? It's they don't have a choice. They're not going to kill any of those ladies. I mean, every one they're just going to, you know, I think probably by the, the next one, probably Courtney Cox, the one after that, or the Nev Campbell will retire or something, and then they'll just move on to new characters. But, you know, to do it so laterally, it's like, I don't know. Anyway, you're right. But Ready or Not was great. Um, I, I had always wished, and this is the last thing, we, I had always wished in part four, and, you know, I know that, I know that they think that the whodunit aspect is the, like, the point of the movie. But I had really wished in part four they didn't answer the character at the like uh, because screen the the costume it's a costume it's not a character right yeah yeah and I think that works really well in the the layers like peeling back the onion of the first three movies like even if yeah now I go back and watch the third one I'm like geez this is a masterpiece like compared to some movies today but you know when it came out you know it's always like I love the third one personally <laughs> they're all I mean they're I wanna- all great i mean i like all three yeah. of them um but you know and four has its cool moments i thought um kirby from fucking four i love her uh from what's her name from heroes i think she i i don't know why they killed her off she should have been in the rest of these movies she was such a good character totally, totally. um but i was like to turn that franchise on its head i wish that 
part four ended with them not telling us who it was. I wish they turned that Ghostface character into a character and not just a costume. Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I, I thought that would have spun it, you know, that would have thrown it on its head a bit. Yeah. Most likely to die. Another thing about this film that, uh, that I thought was kind of cool is like a lot of your films up till this, your genre films up till this point, uh, not missionary, but all the other ones have a supernatural component of some kind, uh, you know, like most likely to die has this sort of, it's it's a it's a it's a person in a that's just a human being with a with a sharp hat, um, <laughs> and uh, you know, was sort of doing kind of a, a, a just a straight ahead slasher film after doing you know a really supernatural ghosty scary movie like Last Shift was that sort of part of the appeal as well for you to, to do the picture is just going okay you know this is a chance to do something very different than the last thing we did yeah I mean I had never done a slasher. And so it was a, a, you know, I thought it was a really intriguing way to like dive into that world. And, and you know, because I, I do like slashers and I grew up on those 90s slashers. Um, you know, obviously they were of like of our era and, you know, I going, I watch, I was never a big fan of Friday the 13th. Um, I love they were in Elm Street. Freddy Krueger's always been like my favorite slasher. Um, and I was like, you know, I'd like to create a, a memorable character that kind of lives in that, that realm, um, of the slasher killers. You know, it's a very specific kind of genre. What's your favorite Freddy movie, by the way? I like the first three a lot. And then I like New Nightmare. So like one, two, three and New Nightmare. I love New Nightmare. And I love, and I, I think the second one is like fantastically underrated. I think that like the second one, I don't know. We talked about the second one earlier. Um, but yeah, like I, to me, the second one is the definitive Freddie makeup. I love his makeup in that movie. I love the music in that movie. The cinematography in that movie is amazing. People don't give it enough credit for it. it's, let's say it's, um, it's, uh, technical elements as callback to missionary. <laughs> it's technical merits. It's technical yeah. merits were adequate. Yeah. It, it has, they're more than adequate. It, it's frankly. exceptional. The technical merits are exceptional in, in Nightmare on Elm Street too. That, scene i like toiled because i i've worked the sound guys i worked with that was like the fourth or fifth movie i'd done with them <clears throat> and i'm in the mix and i'm like we have to come up with a sound that so i was watching like beheadings and stuff and i was like pulling up you know like real because it's such a thing it's like how do you imagine what does that sound like what what does it sound like if you're screaming and somebody rips your head off yeah you know there's a sound for it so I like watched like some beheadings, which of course was not pleasant. And I made like, I showed it to my sound guy and he was like my mixer and he designer. He was like, yeah, I don't, I really wish I hadn't seen that. But you know that. He's like, yeah, he's just like, you're so fucking weird, man. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it was important yeah. to me to be like, how do we, and you know, honestly, the thing we came up with is just a little, it works for the moment. It's not as, um, it's not as gruesome as it could have been. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like that that uh, at the end there when that guy, that dude comes out and he's just ripped as all. Yeah. Uh, like that, was, so that was good too. I love it. He's, he's awesome. I'm like, um, he's super ripped. Uh, and I, Jason, oh, I still talk to Jason. 
And when he came in, I'm like, dude, you are so like buff. Like we have to, I just wanted this moment. Take your shirt off. Yeah, like I just wanted this moment where he like, (laughs) you know, because he's hardly in the movie. And I just wanted this moment where he like, just like fucking takes this stuff off and he's like just there and he like shoots the guy and has his keys and he's like, let's get the fuck out of here. I loved it. I loved everything about it. Just this uh, like this great looking dude with rip no shirt on just kind of just this this fucking, let's just go like boom i was just like this is awesome all of this all of but, this. and see this is why i really wanted to do a sequel and we had like a sequel plan if the you know we wanted to take it because that was the night before the reunion so the movie was you know they get in their car and they like go back to town and they have to be like like listen there was a fucking massacre at my buddy's house he killed you know my house he this guy killed all these people. And then that reunion is still going on that night. And they don't realize that this, there's still people alive. All right. That are, there are in this, there's like a multi-tiered revenge process scheme going on. And that it would have continued into the reunion night and they would have had to come back and like, so like with the sequel, we wanted to, because this was the night before, like this was a get together before the reunion and we're doing it like contained. We wanted to do the actual reunion at the high school the next night. Them not realizing there was like a multi-tier revenge plot going on and they would be pulled into it and then realize, oh shit, like all these people, the reunion are in danger. And we were going to introduce those characters that, that, um, that Chad, that D the character's name is DJ Chad, Addison, he talks about all these characters in that last scene. And we were going to introduce those people in the next movie and, and kind of take it from there. And then, and then we were going to do something in the following year was going to be graduation day for that high school graduating class. So it would have brought in all these young, these young people. Is that part of why you left that many people alive at the end? Totally. Yeah. 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 Right. Right. And I'm guessing based on how you're saying this, that, the, that there will no, not be a sequel. No, I, I think at this point it's not going to happen. But Did the movie not do well or did it not get, you know, like, why, why do you think that? I mean, it's hard. The company that did it, they did not make a lot of horror movies. They had never made a horror movie before and they were like really excited to do one and they were really happy with Most Likely to Die. But I think the company just was not, it was not in their wheelhouse to do like Netflix picked it up and released it. it you know, it, it was a nice release, I think, and, and plenty of people saw it, but it just wasn't it just wasn't in their wheelhouse to like do another one. It just didn't turn out that way. Were you happy with the film? Yeah, I mean, like I said before, the film has a lot of the film has flaws in my eyes. I think it could have been a, a better movie. We were really constrained by scheduling and, and budget stuff. I think we were we were I think it was the one time I shot higher than I should have. Right. Trying to accomplish it because I think the story, I was trying to do a very slick, you know, those nineties thrillers were pretty high budget films. And I was trying to like make a movie that was, I was on par with those, um, you know, for a fraction of the budget. Yeah. So, you know, I did what I could, but, and I think like the, the parts that are, I think that movie has parts that really shine and then parts that suffer, you know, and characters like Jake Busey's character that didn't get the proper, proper consideration that he should. Yeah. It's, it, that was definitely um, something in the film, like, uh, 
when Jag shows up, you're kind of waiting for him to get like that moment and it doesn't quite come. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about extremity. Um, Here's a good old IMDb synopsis. A young woman obsessed with horror subjects herself to hours of grueling torment inside an extreme haunt in an attempt to confront her fears and conquer the tragic past that haunts her. That I think that one's my favorite, actually. Yeah, that's pretty. See, see, no one's. I think that's the one we submitted or the producer submitted. No one's fucked with it yet. It yeah, takes, I think, I think one... there's a time limit. They let people fuck with it after a certain amount of time. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that, I think that one's the best. I think that one's the best. I thought that movie was creepy. And the, but I think the whole extreme haunt thing is creepy. Did you ever see that movie, The Houses October, Bill? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, that whole concept to me of is creepy of these haunt things. And like I've been to some, but like again, I don't know if we have these kinds of things in Canada the way that they might be in the states because these extreme haunts. Yeah, like we have like the ones that at like yeah amusement parks and stuff like that. But I've never seen like a sign for some extreme scary haunt thing that's sort of homegrown or something like that. And the idea of it to me is so creepy because of the thing that, you know, extreme haunts have become a, you know, kind of a popular subject for horror films for exactly these reasons. You've got movies like Houses October Built, the movie called Haunt, oh, Hellfest, yeah. Bloodfeld, you know, and I liked Haunt. Haunt was fun. Um, but it's like, you know, when you've got these other movies, I, did you watch any of those other films before you did this one? We So we did Extremity before Haunt. And okay, I actually did not watch the houses that October Built before this the first one had come out before this but i did not watch it um and i would mainly focus on like the real haunts um right like documentary stuff and, and all that thing i knew it was i knew it was a much different movie than the houses october bill in the sense that like i wasn't yeah. making a horror movie you know in the it, I, again i like a this to me was like a a bookend to dread. I felt like they're very similar thematically. It was like, to me, that was a chapter of my career and Extremity was that piece of it. And it was, her character had a very similar parallel to, to the Quaid character in Dread. Right. And that's kind of what we focused on, the reality of it. it I mean, if like I've seen all those other films that I just listed off and, and uh, um, you know, um, they all have, I think all of those films have their merits, but, but this extremity is a very different beast than those movies. It really is. Um, I, the perdition like haunt in the film, um, is it, is it based off of, like one particular one or is it sort of an amalgam of a bunch of different ones or sort of, how did you guys, how did you kind of put it together? It's mainly a combination of McKamey Manor and Blackout and Blackout, Blackout is a very kind of, um, psychosexual, uncomfortable experience and where they it started in new york and i think they did some in la and mckamey manor is like horror boot camp it's it's he uses military tactics to to like psychologically break down his his entrance and you know he'll they'll boast like that like no one's ever made it through because like in all honesty there's no end to it like the only end to it is when you give up Right. Um, but it, it lasts for hours. I mean, it can last a whole day. Uh, it's just a psychological torture thing that the people are like, you know, I, some of them become like addicted to it because it's, it's, it's probably in the same way people like, you know, dominatrix or something. It's that kind of right. psychology behind it. I mean, it's, it's like, to me, it's something where I'm like, when I see films like this and some of those other films I mentioned, I'm like, no, 
<laughs> I would no. never, I would never do these things. I, I, I'm, it boggles my mind. You know, the people that would want to, to do, did you, did you do any of them? Did you go to any of these crazy haunts for this? No, project? I, 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 no, it, <clears throat> I would have done blackout if it was something we could have done at the time. I would not have done McCamey Manor. It's just not like, right. Yeah, no, no. But I, 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 I watched a lot. I talked to people and watched a lot. I mean, I did a lot of research for it and I didn't write it. You know, these guys had Swan and, and Bond had wrote it together. And when I came in, like we kind of did a rewrite and I gave them some notes and, and kind of started developing it. Uh, and I brought in more of that blackout element because I wanted to bring in the touch of supernatural, if you will. Right. You know, that I, I, cause I like that psychological journey, you know, not just having it be, be like a, a gauntlet of torture. I wanted to bring in this kind of psychological journey with the actor, the lead character. Right. There's, a, there's a scene in the film I'm, that I was curious about where, um, Allison is, is getting sort of, introduced everything by the red skull character and and she calls the the camera crew those chinese people and then red skull corrects her and says japanese and you'll treat them with respect you know and and immediately when that happened i was like huh that's an interesting beat like you know it's almost like there's this we're in that moment i was like you're kind of telling us a lot about those two characters with that exchange I think. well what and, and what and what to you what did it signify like what did you read into it it signifies that that there's that this that this is the kind of you know, Red Skull is the kind of villain or heavy, whatever you want to say, that that has some kind of code, that that has some kind of um that he's not just some, you know, raving psychopath or or, or just some like uh, you know, that there's there's something going on with him that 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 he there's he's got some kind of rules or some kind of system or structure that he adheres to. And it tells us about her that she's not just gonna be some sort of scream queeny like uh, uh virtuous heroine. There's that that she's, you know. There's some, there's some messiness there. Yeah, I think like, um, so they had come down from Japan. Um, it was actually awesome because uh, they had written in this camera crew and it was all like a lot of the reviews, I think people who talk about Extremity are like that camera crew often. There's not a lot of people that say they like that part of it. I really enjoyed that aspect of it. This, because for like the Red Skull character, yeah, I think to them it brings in that, like, I am this horror fanatic who lives off of these niche programming. And like, you know, when he's talking about a certain kind of cinema, if it's French New Wave or it's like, like Japanese horror, or, you know, that he's very specific about these things and, and, and where he sees himself as like, I'm popular with, right? That he's mm-hmm. this kind of niche um world that no one else gives a fuck about but but it's very it is it's like a code to him it's it means something it's reverent mm-hmm. and uh yeah so nishimura who plays the cameraman he he did a lot of the effects on the movie and amy tomai yeah. who plays uh konishi she's the the commentator and so they don't speak english nishimura speaks spoke very little English. Um, she, Amy, Ami spoke no English. And it was awesome because I thought it was going to be like some 
challenge like to work with them. And it was so easy. It was crazy. We had a translator there and man, did they take direction? They were so professional. It's like, you can see how they, they're coming from like, they're both consummate filmmakers in Japan and they're coming here and they just fucking kill it. It's crazy. The level of professional, it was really awesome to work with the two of them. And it's, you know, the movie has this, this sort of reoccurring thematic that, that it was in some of your other films. You know, I saw it in dread, Casadega, long shift, last shift. Um, uh, where there's this sort of notion of these characters or, or, or character who's going, who's working through trauma or almost like a PTSD like aspect. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, why do you think that works so well in horror? And in, 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 you know, it's, it seems to be a thematic that you're drawn to. You know, I, I think it's a realistic thing that people, people who have trauma, they're searching, you know, for an answer or a place in the world a lot. And that, um, they will, I think oftentimes people turn to, right. They turn to things like horror. You can like people who have trauma in their lives often really turn to, to horror and, and love horror. <clears throat> Cause it, it, it's like facing these fears, like same p- people ride, uh, you know, roller coasters or go to these things like extreme haunts. And I, again, am really drawn to that cautionary tale aspect. It's in, it's in dread. It's in missionary. It's an extremity of like, you don't know this person. You don't know this person you're inviting into your world. And as a movie, you know, they, they invite her into the world and she's there for a certain kind of help, a very specific kind of help. And they, they have no idea. They have no idea the kind of trauma she's carrying mm-hmm. or, or like what she's capable of. And she doesn't know what she's capable of either. And I really, I'm just really drawn to that, that psychology in people. Right. Yeah. There's, there's a scene in the, uh, in the film where the couple are watching this, you know, ex- like this intense, extreme horror, kind of underground horror film. And Allison says, watching horror movies doesn't make me deranged, which is how you make me feel. Um, that, was, that, that line caught me. Um, you know, it's, it's, it was an interesting sort of scene to sort of see because, you know, you, you see this movie she's watching and, and you're like, man, that's like sort of this fucked up thing. And but you know, was that moment or that scene was, you know, what was sort of was sort of the what were we kind of trying to say with that scene? Was it a commentary on on the genre as a whole, or was it was it a commentary on the people who have ideas about how horror influences people to do bad things? Like what where were you sort of coming from with that moment? Yeah, I mean, I the scenes I kind of uh touch on that, I was not ever making a commentary on the genre. I'm making a commentary on people, how people, how like normies view the genre, you know, like, right. Yeah. It's that. And, 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 and and the same thing with her psychologist, that there's no merit in this. How often I I got a lot of that, like working with Clive for so many years because he all, you know, he would always say like people view horror just as like one step up from pornography. Yeah. You know, and, and some people think it's one and the same. And that's interesting that, that, I think it's less nowadays, but that persisted for a long time. And I'm sure it will come back. Um, yeah. That, cause, cause people who don't like horror don't understand, especially why they'd watch something like August underground, which is what, kind of what we were homaging. Right. And I wanted to touch on, and we all wanted to touch on the writers and myself, the, the, the whole gamut of the genre and the people in it. Right. And from from movies like 
August Underground all the way to the other end of the spectrum and, and to, to like Asian cinema, right? Yeah. And how it all kind of came together in this one night and this one like girl's point of view. Uh, so that's really where it comes from. But yeah, we were not trying to like ever say, you know, we weren't making a commentary on, on the, the medium itself. Right. You know, it's also interesting just from an aesthetic standpoint, the movie looks, it feels cold and, and, you know, just chilled and dark. And, you know, so many of your other films were shot in like Florida and they don't, they feel sweaty and hot and, yeah. and, you know, and so it was such a different aesthetic and, and sort of this tone. Where did you shoot the movie? In Edmonton. Edmonton. Oh, fuck. In yeah, the middle of winter. Yeah, that explains it. I mean, you must have been freezing. Oh, man, it was cold. It was yeah. cold. But it yeah. was, again, it was, it was, I liked the, I liked the challenge of it. And, right. and she, like, you know, like trying to shoot those outdoor scenes with those actors in the snow. I mean, you know, like. Oh, I know. You, you can't play around. Like, you can't yeah. play around. Yeah. It's not no, like. It's, people it's, can get sick. People can get frostbite. People. Yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, I mean, you got to take certain precautions that you may not have to take in like, you know, a U.S. like Boston or something. Right. But. Right. But so, yeah, it was it was a challenge. But geez, they they friggin were troopers. She was she was such a trooper on that movie that the the stuff that we put her through was just. She she went with it. Dana. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she was. I mean, that's a that's one of those performances you can see it. You know, you can see it in the film. It's just like you can't fake some of this shit. She's going through that stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, you know when the film came out, you know, I was I was reading some reviews for it, and, and there was this like thing of you know a bunch of different critics who, who were making comparisons to Saw. Um, you know, and kind of like we were talking about with the whole Saul and Precinct Thirteen thing. I didn't really see that, but did, was that something that you guys were mindful of or thinking about at all when you were doing this film? I mean, no, no, because to me, it's not, it's not like what you would call, right, torture porn. I, I mean, I never saw it that way. Because again, I feel like it's more of a, it's more of a drama in in a lot of aspects. Totally, you yeah. yeah. Um, you know, she's going through torture, and and I think you know, which is why again, I really wanted to play with the narrative aspects of the movie, and, and the I edited it too. And the movie has a lot of branching realities and you're constantly switching back from time periods. And I like that element of it. I think it makes it a different kind of movie. Mm -hmm. uh, and you're in this kind of psychological state with her, what's real and what's not. And, and she's entering her own movies and she's having flashbacks of her childhood and a, a journey of a lot of technical things. And not, no, I mean, it was definitely not something we considered when that we thought we were making like a Saw movie. No, I mean, I, you know, I think people see like a film that has, you know, a component of psychological sort of, you know, where there's people are put through suffering and then, you know, it's instant sort of the, a, an isolated kind of warehousey kind of location. They go, oh, Saw. Yes, and like, yeah. like, like, like Saw is the only movie that ever did that or something. I mean, there's a girl in a cage. Yeah. And the funny thing about it, too, is like, you know, the, I always feel like when a lot of critics are doing it, that it's sort of a, there's a condescension. I'm like, I think Saw is a really good movie. When did people start talking about the Saw like it wasn't a good film? Yeah, Saw is an excellent film. I mean, Saw is totally. like a straight up mystery movie. It's great. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's very weird to me. How did the film do when it came out? Was it was it well received? And, you know, were, were you happy with it? Uh, You know, I don't think anyone saw it from me. <laughs> right. <laughs> it, it's, no, I mean, you know, to the, the level of of. It was released 
uh, and the, you know, the company was going through kind of a change at the time and it, you know, it just was what it was. I really like extremity as a, as a, you know, it's a movie that I can like watch and be like, this is, this is what it uh, intended, you know? Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. you know, I can go back and look at extremity and say like, well, maybe I should have made like the lead character more likable or things like that. Maybe in the writing process, we could have made her more accessible because it's not, I knew making that movie that it's not, it's not a movie for everybody. Right. You know, it's, it's for a very specific kind of audience. And I think it's yet to find those that people. Yeah. 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 But once they find it, they'll enjoy it. You know what I mean? Well, I think thematically too, it, 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 it the movie kind of ties together and sort of, I don't know, almost sums up some themes that you were exploring in some of your earlier films. Yeah. And so from a standpoint of going back and going through your work, it was kind of neat. You know, Extremity was the only one I had never seen before when I saw it, to speak to what you just said. Um, and uh, and so when I watched it, this oh, I hadn't seen uh, Missionary either. Yeah. I, I'm staying corrected. Um, but when I saw Extremity, I was like, this is, you know, there, there's definitely a sense of kind of a culmination of, of ideas and, and thematics from your other from some of your other films that, that, that comes together in, in this film. And I thought it was, you know, I I admired its its unapologetic darkness and and uh, and you know I, I if to me that's it makes perfect sense that you that that's where you went with this particular film, you know. Yeah, and it's like you know I you it's almost like you can't recommend it to a horror person because it's not it's not really scary. It's not really right. meant to be scary, but it it finds the people like who are like myself who appreciate the genre in all fashions. Yes. You know, like yeah. I don't need to watch a horror movie that's scary. Right. But still really enjoy it. You know, yeah. Something that dark deals with really dark themes. Yeah. I mean, like, did you ever see session nine? Oh yeah, for sure. I love session nine. Yeah. I love session nine. And it's like session nine, you know, it's scary, but like the, the thing about session always worked for me is that I always just felt like it was, you know, it's not really a supernatural movie in the end. And it's, you know, there's hints of that, but it's just, it's psychological warfare, that movie. Like, that movie exhausts me in the best way. And and this movie kind of reminded me of that. Cool. Well, that's good. You know, that's good. I really yeah. liked working with that cast, yeah. too. I had a lot of different people in that movie. A lot of different characters we flew in from L.A., you know. Well, it's, there's a lot of neat stuff in there. You know, there's people doing sort of, like, performance art and stuff like that. It's kind of, it's all really cool. Um. Thank you for for coming on, man. It's great. And when when you do f- make Last Shift, the the this new one, uh, hopefully you can come back and, and tell us some some stuff some stuff about it at that point. Hell yeah, I'm sure we'll have lots of good stories. Excellent, <laughs> awesome, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, this was a blast. I really enjoyed it. It was awesome. I mean, I feel like you and I could just sit here and talk about all kinds of other movies for a long period of time and enjoy doing that. So. Well, yeah, we'll do that on the next one because then we'll only have one movie to talk about. That's right. It'll be so much easier at that point. Yeah. Unless unless Profane Exhibit is released by that time. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks, brother. All right, cool, man. I'll talk to you soon. All right, take care. All right, take care. You've been listening to Kevin Lane Spill Your Guts. 
with host and filmmaker Kevin Lane. Kevin Lane's Spill Your Guts was created by Kevin Lane, produced by Jason Hill, and edited by Felipe Ojeda. The Spill Your Guts theme and incidental music was created by composer Mike Haddon. Original artwork and design elements generously provided by Matthew Terrian. Spill Your Guts is only made possible by the support of listeners like you, and the most important thing you can do to ensure that these amazing interviews keep coming is to simply get the word out. You can find us on Facebook by searching Kevin Lane's Spill Your Guts, Instagram at, all one word, Spill Your Guts underscore podcast, and Twitter at Spill Your Guts underscore one, as in the number one. Be sure to post, comment, share, and like, but don't forget, good old-fashioned word of mouth still goes a long way, and the best way you can support what we do is to just tell people about us. Friends, family, co-workers, whomever. Anyone with a pair of ears and a taste for guts. This has been Kevin Lane's Spill Your Guts. Thanks for listening. <laughs>